Hello, it's Jeremy Guthrie, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. They come from all corners of the world, and they descend on towns everywhere. Burlington, North Carolina, Idaho Falls, Idaho, Lexington, Kentucky, Wilmington, Delaware, Springdale, Arkansas, Papillion, Nebraska, and Kansas City, Missouri. What do all these men have in common? They work together to win. It's time to talk to another Royal on Clubhouse Conversation. And we are down to the nitty-gritty of the 2014 season for the Kansas City Royals. KC about to take on, of course, the Detroit Tigers this weekend. The biggest home series, arguably, since 1985. And what better time to check in with our buddy Jeremy Guthrie before we kick off this weekend with the Tigers. He'll be pitching on Sunday in that third game of the series against Rick Porcello. Jeremy Guthrie needing just nine and two-thirds innings to once again eclipse 200 innings pitched this year. It'll be the fifth time in his career that he does accomplish that. He's driving somewhere right now. Jeremy Guthrie joins us on Clubhouse Conversation. Good to have you back on again, man. How's everything going? It's going great. We are. Uh, you know, wrapping up regular season and got a couple of big series ahead of us. Yeah, now I want to talk mainly about non-baseball stuff. I've got a lot of random stuff for you, but a couple of quick questions. First of all, you've got to be, on a scale of 1 to 10, how exciting is this right now for you? We'll drop a 9.97. <laughs> I love it. You always, got to leave, you always have to leave room for additional excitement that can be added. Yeah, for the playoffs, right? Now, this will be, hopefully, it'll be the first time in your career you've pitched in the postseason. How exciting is that for you to think about? Well, that's if you're not counting double A. Okay, oh, yeah, fair enough. No, I'm just joking. Gio, uh, Gio, Gio, Gio was trying to brag about his five rings he has, <laughs> and I told him he has no rings in the show. We're not talking about minor league rings around here. Yeah, we're not talking about the Burlington Bees, right? <laughs> That's exactly right. So, yeah, it's exciting. It would be a, a first opportunity to do that if we were able to do, to make it. Yeah, so you live here year-round. Your family does as well. So I'm sure, are you kind of feeling how excited the fans are, maybe more so than some people? Are you just, you know, feeling the energy around Kansas City right now? Well, I think it's really been evident all season long. Uh, for me, going out, uh, seeing people, they've, all season long, been saying how they've been coming to the game, go Royals, and they're excited for this season. So, uh, certainly it's been building, but really it's been there since the start of spring training. That's a credit to the fans, and you know, obviously to the credit to the players that were obtained by uh, Dayton Moore to get us into the season. Well, we're looking forward to this weekend, but let's go back. Let's go back in time for a bit here. You're the only player to make the major leagues so far from Ashland High School, although there are two guys that are currently in the minor leagues with St. Louis and Tampa from your high school. But I know you played a ton of sports growing up. So what sports did you actually play in high school? Did you have a favorite growing up? I did. I played football, basketball, and baseball, and football was my favorite growing up. Quarterback, right? It was a quarterback and then the kicking positions, punter and field goal kicker, place kicker, as we call it. Well, I know that uh, Rex Hudler is quite the football player. Have you and him tossed the pigskin around at any point so far? No, Rex is way too old to be throwing anything around at this point. <laughs> yeah, touche. Way, right? way too old. He can throw a mic around. That's about it. He can throw a mic around and uh, maybe Ryan Lefebvre at times. That's about it for him. Yeah, right? And some classic lines. I loved the uh, normally the waiter check, please. I loved the other night when uh, Wade finally gave up a run for the first time in three years, it seemed like, and he said, waiter, there's a fly in my soup. <laughs> there. <laughs> that was yeah, Tudler, uh, he is quite a character. One of a kind. Now, what what about, so, baseball, did you, was that your best sport then, did you feel like? And could you ever have imagined you'd pitch in a major league, say, when you were in high school? 
my day in high school, my most successful sport was was football by far. And so, you know, I had the ability to throw the baseball hard, but really didn't have any, you know, pitchability or anything really that helped me on the mound other than a strong arm. So it was something that I, you know, would have liked to have done, but it wasn't necessarily something I expected to be able to do. And once I continued to kind of grow and learn and get instruction, uh, you know, it became more of a reality for me. So could you have played college football too then, I'm assuming? I was going to try. Who knows? It's, uh, I, I don't pretend to think that high school football and college football compare. I know it's a big step. So uh, I was going to give it a try and, and see what I could do and, and go from there. But I know it would have been a, a tough task. Yeah. Well, you're healthier for it, hopefully. So Now, what about baseball cards? Did you collect any baseball cards growing up? I did. I uh, collected mainly baseball cards. I got into basketball, but um, select football cards. But, you know, baseball was the only one that I had sets and, and numerous cards and stuff. Anything valuable in that collection, and do you still have it? My most valuable card is the Michael Jordan 86-87 Fleer rookie card. Yes. Um, you know, I have a number of really cool cards, though, that I've kept. Uh, one of my favorites, probably my two favorite individual cards, is an 83 Topps traded Daryl Strawberry rookie card, which when I grew up was about an 80 to 120 dollar card. Yeah. So now it's probably worth a couple of bucks <laughs> at most. And then a uh, 1990 Score supplemental set uh, Emmett Smith rookie, which was really really hard to get. And I've only seen two or three in my life, and I own one of them. So. Oh, cool. Uh, I don't know the I don't know the value of it. I don't have any of my cards rated, in which at this point in time. Really, that's the only way to make your cards worth anything is to send them into PSA or yeah. uh, forget the other companies. So, uh, ironically, though, a friend of mine that I met in New York City last week brought in a box of Leaf 1990 Leaf Series Two that had uh, the Frank Thomas and John Olerud and Randy Johnson oh. cards, which in their heyday were some of the very best of the best baseball cards. So, I pulled two Frank Thomases in one box. You remember that? Speaking of 1990, do you remember that score, Bo Jackson football baseball card? How valuable that was for a minute? Yes. Well, I mean, they did it in both sets, so I know the the baseball set had him with the bat over the shoulders, and the the football score set had him kind of in a batting stance with the shoulder pads on. <laughs> now, do you have all of your baseball cards that have ever been made of you? And do you have a favorite? I try to have them all. I do not have. Them. There's just so many of these this day and age. So. Um, I'd say I have 90% of them. I don't have all of the autograph ones that, that are harder to get and more exclusive. But uh, as far as a favorite, probably my very first one, uh, my most valuable one, which is the Donruss, 2002 Donruss Elite Series. And uh, I think there was maybe 50 or 100 of them autographed, and then the other 100 were not autographed. So I, I like that one. I think it's a cool-looking card, and it's, you know, for a long, it's my most valuable card as well. Did you ever get to know Pat Neshek at all? Because I know he collects, like, thousands of autographs. Do you know his story at all? Yeah, I played against him, and I, I know he's a big collector. Uh, I've never really spoken about it, but I've seen stuff written about it and read a little bit on him. Now, also in your childhood, Nintendo and the Rick D's Weekly Top 40 were obviously big roles. I know you love Rick D's. So, before we talk about that, your best Nintendo game ever. What was your favorite on the original Nintendo? Well, I still play my regular Nintendo, and I played it with my uh, four-year-old son just yesterday. So uh, I have it from my. Yep, I have my original one. I have a. I have a Nintendo Power Fan Club sticker on it still that I got from my Nintendo Power subscription. 
and I have all the codes for Contra and Mike Tyson's Punch Out written on the sticker. Um, my favorite, my favorite three games. Well, let's go five because I really can't consolidate them into three. Probably fair enough. In, in no part, in no particular order. Super Tecmo football. Yes, I probably, that can probably be that can probably be number one, but the rest will just kind of mix in. Ice hockey, so the original just ice hockey, not blade to steel, not anything else, just ice hockey with the four guys, the fat guy, the medium guy, and the skinny kid. <laughs> um, double dribble. Yes, yes. Bad news baseball, which is an all-time classic, and people don't. A lot of people don't know about it, but bad news baseball was made by Tecmo. And so there's there's Super Tecmo basketball, there's Super Tecmo football, there's no Super Tecmo baseball, but in theory there really is, and that's bad news baseball. You can dive, you can jump, you can shuffle lineups, <laughs> and it's you know it's just a better version of RBI. Simple, just like RBI, but you can actually mess with your rosters. They have a speed rating, a defensive rating for every position, so you have to kind of plan your lineup out. If you're going to substitute someone that's a better hitter, they can hurt you defensively. You make more errors if you put a bad guy in at a, at a position he doesn't play. So, bad news baseball. That's five already. Do I have one remaining? No, that's five. Do you remember? Do you remember Roger Clemens baseball, where the players' names were scrambled up because they didn't have the licensing rights to it? <laughs> no, I didn't play that. If it was a garbage game, I didn't mess with it. Oh, I only okay. stuck with the best. What about Rad Racer, Burger Time, Paperboy? Rad Racer, I played. The other ones, I did not. Some of my collection was. Uh, I had Operation Wolf, a classic out of the arcades back in the day. Mike Tyson's Punch Out, of course, and if you played in the arcade, Mighty Blow, Mighty Blow. Um, and one of my all-time favorites, Mighty Bomb Jack, known but not as popular as some of the other games, like a Contra, for example. Castlevania, excellent game. Um, a game called Stinger. It's a futuristic, like uh, you're in like a spaceship type thing, and you just pass levels. Amazing game, still to this day one of my favorites. RC Pro Am, an all-time classic. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, I always thought that when you passed the 32 tracks, I believe, or 36, that you would like win the game. It would stop, but it ended up just resetting them and making them more difficult with more oil and more, you know, the cars go faster. Very disappointing in that regard, but it took me a number of years to finally <laughs> break that. Now, what about the Rick D's Weekly Top 40? Did you ever write in with a long-distance request back in your heyday? I did never. I never wrote in a letter to Rick D's. I said I never wrote one in to Delilah either, though, so Rick should not take it personally. <laughs> okay, well, there's still time, I guess. Now, one other 90s question for you. The soft drink Surge. I'm sure you heard that Surge is coming back, but you can only buy that on Amazon.com in a 12-pack. So did you ever rock out the Surge, and will you be purchasing a 12-er? I've never even heard of Surge. So really? I don't know what it is. I remember Jolt was a drink back in the 90s. Yes, very similar. Maybe even the 80s. I don't know Surge. We didn't get that in Oregon. It never made it that far. Now, what about the shoe bug? How old were you when you got the shoe bug? Was that like a childhood thing? No, I'd say I got my first pair of Jordans when I was uh, in sixth grade. And that kind of started. I remember I cut the ads out of the Sports Illustrated for that Air Jordan 5 that I got. Yeah. It had a picture of the souls, and that's kind of when I started noticing the Mars Blackman commercials. And so all of that kind of came together. And at that point, you know, I was expected to take nice care of those shoes as well. So kind of that aspect of the shoe fetish began uh, probably when I was in sixth grade is, is a good starting point. Now, what made you choose BYU and Stanford for college? BYU is where I wanted to go. Uh, I had gone to a summer camp there and, and knew it was a great place. 
uh, that I would enjoy as well as uh, be able to get a good education. And then when I returned from Spain after two years off, um, had the chance to go to Stanford, which, you know, was uh, was another even better opportunity academically and, and also for baseball. Now, you mentioned Spain and your mission right there. Now, I heard you the other night talking about that, too, when you translate now for Ventura. So you're fluent in Spanish. But tell us about, you know, what did you learn on your mission? How did that kind of shape you as a man? And tell us how that two, year, you know, two years in Spain was for you. Well, really, uh, you know, when you're out there as a missionary, you're on your own with a companion, usually 19 to 22 years old in that range. And, you're, you know, you live on your own. You make decisions on your own. There's nobody there necessarily to, to tell you what to do, although there's a set of rules and guidelines you're expected to follow. And, uh, you know, the work that you do as a missionary is completely focused on other people, you know, sharing uh, the lessons that we have about uh, our faith and our gospel and, and trying to find opportunities to serve in the community that you live in, you know, be it Spain where I was or Sacramento, California where my brother served. Uh, or Mexico, wherever it may be, you're expected to do service each week. And so really you spend two years, as I like to describe it, thinking about everybody except yourself. And uh, certainly there's very few opportunities in life where a person has, you know, the chance to do that and still be able to kind of survive. And and that's because uh, we save money and we pay for the mission ourselves. Obviously parents help out uh, the grand majority of the time. I know my parents paid all of my mission uh, expenses, which are somewhere around $10,000. And, uh, you know, as you do that, you really, the bills get paid monthly as long as the checks come in from, from wherever your parents are. And, uh, really you just worry about the missionary work that you're doing. And so, um, in Spain specifically, there was a lot of rejection to what we were trying to do. And so every time you spent weeks or months without anybody even wanting to talk to you or, or treat you with much dignity, uh, you had to learn how to cope with that, you know, those difficulties and that uh, type of rejection, which I think has helped a lot, you know, in my athletic career because certainly things don't go uh, the way we hope all of the time that we're out there on, on a baseball field. Now, one thing I kind of want to ask you about along the same lines, and because I see a lot of nasty stuff on Twitter these days, you know, people having easier access in their minds to tweeting at an athlete or a performer, and like, like I see some negative stuff sometimes. So how do you, how does that affect you? Are you able to shake that off, or does it bother you when you? I mean, because I know the majority of you get is positive, but when you see that kind of stuff, how you know, as an athlete, how does that make you feel and that kind of stuff? Well, first of all, I hope you're not referring to all the nasty tweets I send at you when you have a bad broadcast. I hope you're not singling me out when I tell you how bad your song choice was at 3.37 p.m. on Thursday, the 15th of August. <laughs> no, not you. But no, I do you. it. And I'm sure there, I'm, I do it, and I'm sure there's other people who critique your ability to, to spin a song and and read an, an, an ad for a, fat, uh, a weight loss program. What does that make? Slim for life? <laughs> Slim for life, that's right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Slim for life? I mean, I'm sure I'm sure people have told you you've done a bad job in reading that, but I think you've done a great job. I would never tell you how bad you are. Well, and I look good, too. Uh, 40 pounds lighter, too, so. There you go. Free advertising on your own uh, on your own podcast now, too. <laughs> um, I, I try to, you know, I don't respond to it, first and foremost, because I know that really – most of those people are just looking for a reaction. So uh, if they don't know if the person, the athlete, or the person they're directing their comments to read it, I think that leaves a little level of dissatisfaction on their part. But um, you know, I understand that just people really, like you said, have the ability to say whatever they want to say. And 
Um, quite frankly, you know, those people that choose to be as angry or outwardly, you know, negative towards somebody that they do or don't know, uh, it just kind of speaks to me about where they are in their own situations. And, you know, I don't want to judge uh, their happiness level, but I'm content with who I am and, and the way I live. And if I have a bad game and, and throw one fastball that's four inches too high and someone chooses to call me names because of it, uh, I don't let it affect me too much. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty realistic with myself and my what I do on the field. And I use my own critiquing to try and get better. Uh, you know, it doesn't, I don't need other people to tell me how bad I am to, to want to get better at what I do. Fair enough. Now, other than one rehab start in 2012 with Modesto, you completely somehow skipped rookie ball and A ball, except for that one start. But when you think back to the minor leagues, I'm thinking like minor league hotels. You hear the horror stories about roaches or hole in the walls. Was there ever a particular minor league hotel, the worst one you ever had, or a real bad experience, or did you kind of skip them because you went to Double A? Yeah, so I started in Double A, and, and for the most part, Double A hotels are are pretty acceptable. You know, you stay in a lot of Holiday Inns, maybe a, a Radisson Inn. So by no means are these terrible hotels. You know, there were hotels I stayed in growing up, and, and, and you know, they were perfectly acceptable. Uh, one that maybe stands out is not so good. Um, I feel like Bowie, Maryland, I think it was a Holiday Inn. That was kind of run down and raggedy. Uh, you know, almost felt like the doors barely locked when you left the room, which is kind of a scary thought for your belongings. Um, there was one I didn't particularly care for the hotel in Erie, Pennsylvania, where the Double A Tigers team was. That one was kind of uh, strange and weird. Um, but aside from that, you know, I was really lucky. I, I didn't have to go through some of the smaller towns that you get to when you play rookie ball, like you said, or or single A, you know, ball, where the towns are really small and the hotel options are, are a lot more limited. So. I can be grateful for that, I guess, as I look back on, on my playing career. Did you have a favorite minor league park to pitch in? I did. Um, I'd say in double-A, my, my favorite park was maybe my home park, which was Akron. Um, we were the Akron Arrows at the time. It was called Canal Park, and it's nice. it was brand new for the moment, and it was just really cool. Nice little feel to it, and... Uh, really cool place to play games. Um, in AAA, my two favorites were in Louisville, the Louisville Bats for the AAA Reds. Uh, sits right on the river, really cool stadium, great clubhouse, by far my favorite clubhouse in minor league baseball, maybe even in major league baseball, because they had a they had a couple of arcade games, Excitebike, I think, and then they also had Bumper Pool, which is just by far my favorite game to play. Bumper Pool is really cool. So, um, that's kind of uh, where I was at with that. Also, Pawtucket, Pawtucket which is AAA for the Red Sox, is a really cool stadium. McCoy Stadium is what it's called. Yeah. And uh, you have to go there to, to kind of experience it, but it's awesome. The way people, the fans ask for autographs by putting their balls or cards in a, a cutout milk cart, and they lower it down with strings because the stands sit about 15 feet above the dugouts and above the playing field. So uh, just a really cool place to go watch a minor league game if you're ever up in you know, I believe it's right near Providence, uh, Rhode Island. Awesome. Well, three last things for you. Thanks for your time. Number one, Major League Clubhouse. You mentioned clubhouses. Which Major League Clubhouse has the best post-game spread for food? There's no question it's uh, New York Yankees. They do just an exceptional job. You treat it like a king there. Uh, Baltimore is also up there in terms of their food and, and the way they treat the players. 
Hmm. Now, what about as an opposing player when you came to Kansas City? What did you think? Because I read people that say Kansas City is a top five city, an underrated city to visit because of the plaza. What, do you remember what you, you know before you played here? What your thoughts were on Kansas City? Yeah, it's always a, a place that everybody looks forward to coming to. Um, has a lot to do with Chuck Hawk, who's our visiting clubhouse guy. Uh, he takes great care. He, he's one of those guys that ranks up there in the top three or four in all of the American League, at least maybe all of baseball for you know, the food and the services he puts out there. And then, like you said, the plaza, you stay right down there, typically near the plaza, and it's a, you know, it's a fun place to, to stay and, and be able to shop each day and stuff like that. Last thing for you, a trivia question for you. You have one career major league RBI. It was in 2012 with the Rockies. Can you name the pitcher you knocked it off of and the inning it happened in? Uh no, it's probably Adam Wynn right now. I'm going to guess the fourth inning. Actually, you're right. <laughs> On July 4th against St. Louis. All right. Will we see you go deep someday in your career? Most likely not. I don't have the power. I just don't have it. I got a terrible swing, and I'm just not, I'm just not good at hitting. But no one thing. I'm two for three. No, I'm three for five lifetime. I've Adam Wynn right. One of those hits was in a spring training game, and I'm counting it. <laughs> Okay, well, we need to get them in the schedule more then. Maybe next year. Well, Jeremy, thanks a ton for your time as always, and I wish you nothing but the best this weekend against Detroit. And obviously going forward, you got the whole city behind you, the whole Royals Nation behind you. We love you, and, and thanks for all you give to the Royals. Awesome. Thank you, Davo. All right, take you care. Good work.